Good morning. I'd like to invite you to stand with your Bible in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'd like to stand and, and uh, respect that. Uh, we're reading from Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, as Pastor Bruce continues his series from the book of Malachi, Living Fully Devoted, answering the question, is it worth it? <clears throat> is it worth it? From uh, chapter 3 of Malachi, verses 13 through 18. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of, the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I will make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who, who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. God, we praise you and we thank you for your holy word, for its instruction, for its, for its guidance in our lives. We thank you that uh, you have uh, committed your word to us, that, uh, uh, that we can live fully devoted uh, when we submit to it and to your son. Thank you so much for Pastor Bruce as he brings your word to us this, this morning. Help us to be open and receptive to what you have to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning we want to resume in our worship series through the book of Malachi, living fully devoted to the Lord. That's the message of Malachi. And this morning I want to begin with a question that every Christ follower must answer within their own heart. In fact, every Christ follower faces this question at least once, if not numerous times throughout their lives. It's a question that we all wrestle with in our hearts, and so it's a question that I want us to wrestle with, if you will, this morning. And that question is this. It's a simple question, but it's a profound question. And the question is, is it worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord? Is it worth it? Now, this is not a, a new question, per se. God's people have really been asking this question since the days of the prophet Malachi. Now, this question has been asked in different ways, uh, different forms of the question. It could be asked, you know, is it worth it to give my life to the Lord? Is it, is it worth it to offer the Lord meaningful worship? Is it worth it to remain true to God and true to His Word? Is it worth it to, to persevere in my faith when, well, when things don't work out right or expectations of how I want God to do things doesn't come about? Is it worth it to glorify God's name in and through my life? Is it worth it to stay faithful in your marriage? Is it worth it to trust in the God of, in, of justice? Is it worth it to give? Not only your life, but your tithes and offerings to the Lord, as we looked at a few weeks ago. 
Is it worth it to serve the Lord in ministry? In other words, is it worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord? And there are really only two answers to this question. Notice it here in your notes if you want to follow along or just follow on the screen behind me. You're welcome to, but the two answers comes from two groups of people. And the answer of group one is no, it's not worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord. That's the answer of one group of people. But there's another group of people that answers, and their answer is this. Yes, it is worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord. You see, God's message to God's people through God's messenger here in the book of Malachi, which is the prophet Malachi, his messenger, is really is to live fully devoted to the Lord. But as we have seen throughout this book, throughout this series, God's people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they, they have questioned if it's really worth it. And many of the Jewish people have wrongly concluded, no, it's not worth it. But as we will see today, Thankfully, there is a remnant, there is a group of God's people who have rightly concluded, yes, it is worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord. What we find in these verses here, in which Bill read for us, are two groups of people who offer two different answers to our question. And group A, obviously, is the group that you want to avoid. This first group, it, it looks around and it arrogantly accuses God. And this first group decides that it's not worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord. In group B, that is the group that Malachi is exhorting us to be a part of. The second group looks up and reverently fears God. And in that fear of God, they decide it is worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord. Now, how you answer this question, because here's the deal, I cannot answer this question for you. Your spouse cannot answer this for you. And young men and ladies over here, your parents cannot answer this for you. Your friends cannot answer this for you. Only you can answer this question and how you answer this question says a lot about you and your spiritual condition of where you're at this morning. It reveals your heart, it reveals what you really think about the Lord, and then it also reveals whether you're even a true follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I want to encourage you this morning to look within and to discern which group you're in as we look at these two groups from this passage of Scripture here in Malachi. And if you belong to this first group, I pray, my prayer is that God will work in your heart and you will, by the power of God, working in your heart, you will be drawn to move to the second group because you will be drawn to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Is it worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord? There's two answers and only two answers. Let's look at the first answer. This first group looks around and arrogantly accuses God. Just as God has done all throughout the book of Malachi, and now God does it again, He confronts the people on their arrogant accusations they're making against Him. God says in verse 13, look at this, and 
chapter 3 of Malachi. God is, through the prophet Malachi, speaking to these people, and he says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. And again, the people dispute what God says in verse 13. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? In other words, the people come back. God, God confronts them, and the people come back and, and basically say, God, what are you talking about? We haven't said a word against you. But they didn't seem to realize that their quarreling with God proved his point that he's making here. Now, immediately we learn a lesson from what the arrogant speak and say. Here's what we learn when the arrogant speak. When the arrogant speak, they speak harsh words against the Lord. They speak harsh words against God. Now the people, they weren't directly shaking their fists at God and accusing Him to His face. Rather, they were saying harsh things about God to other people. Harsh is the idea of speaking strongly against someone in an arrogant attitude. And in this case, the people were spreading malicious lies about God, but they were doing it to one another, within one another. They were saying things to one another about God. And what they were saying about God were false accusations. And so they weren't necessarily speaking these things and being harsh to God directly to His face, but they were huddling together and talking about God, and, and their lives of serving God or not serving God, and it's not worth it, and, and what's coming out of their mouth are these harsh words about God as they speak and kind of huddle together to say these things. But God was eavesdropping on their conversations. God heard every word that they were saying about Him. In fact, it reminds me of the story of an older gentleman who had serious hearing problems for, for over 10 years, and he finally went to the doctor and was fitted for a set of hearing aids that enabled him to, to hear perfectly now. And on his follow-up visit a month later, the doctor said, well, your hearing is now at 100%. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear again. To which the man replied, oh, I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and listen to their conversations. I've changed my will three times now. <laughs> listen, on a, a, on a more serious note, though, what we find here with these, this first group in the harsh words that they're speaking about God to one another, and yet they speak as if God is deaf, and yet God eavesdrops on their conversations, what we see here is a warning to each of us. All of our life is a theater, and we are the actors. Every car, every office, every cubicle, every break room, every classroom, every hallway, every locker room, every kitchen, every bedroom, every living room, every basement, every computer, every tablet, every smartphone is on stage before God. In fact, it's not only on stage before God. God is sitting on the front row of the theater, and he doesn't miss a single line in the drama of our lives. Not one. Every word you speak, God hears. Every text that you send, God reads. Every picture that you post online, God sees. 
No matter where or when or with whom we speak, God hears every word of our conversations and He interprets perfectly what they imply about Him. In fact, that is all that really matters about our conversations is what they imply about God. What are we saying about God? When we talk with one another, when we send texts, when we post, whatever the case may be. And so when God listened in on the conversations of these people here in Malachi, what did he hear? Well, God tells us exactly what he heard these people say. Notice it with me in verses 14 and 15. God says, you have said it is vain or useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. Yes, those who tempt God go free. It's interesting when you get to the Gospels, when Jesus comes on the scene, on earth, in the flesh, Jesus taught that what comes out of the mouth of man, of people, reveals what is actually in the heart. And in their hearts here, with these people, a majority of the Israelites do not fear God. And because they do not fear God, they arrogantly proclaim two accusations against God. The accusation, number one, they proclaim, first of all, look at this, is it is pointless to serve God. That's what they're saying to one another. That's what they're trying to encourage, if you will, with, to one another. It's pointless to serve God. They were basically saying that serving God, it's empty, it's vain, it's useless. In other words, it's just all a waste of time, so why are we doing it? They claim that they gain nothing by serving the Lord. But in reality, were they even serving Him to begin with? Were they, were they really serving the Lord? If you remember back of what we have seen so far in the book of Malachi, they were merely going through the motions of serving the Lord. In other words, they're just going through the motions of religious duty. They were keeping the outward appearance of worship, but they weren't really serving Him with their hearts. They were coming to the temple and they were offering God these lame sacrifices, animals that were blind and defective, sick. And then they were expecting God to bless them as if everything was okay. They even walked around. God says, you walk around as if you're mourners. Mourning. In that term, there's the idea that they were acting as if they had repented before the Lord and that they had returned to the Lord. And so it was all outward emotions, but inwardly there was no change in their heart. And so now they're accusing God and they're saying this to one another, it's pointless to serve God. But God was displeased and His blessing was withdrawn. Why? Because their worship was worthless. And their lives, when they honestly looked inward, they were half-hearted. Their worship was a result of duty, not devotion. It wasn't, they weren't serving and coming to the temple and offering their sacrifices because they loved God. They were just doing it because it was required. 
And they no longer enjoyed worship because they no longer enjoyed God. And they no longer enjoyed God because God hasn't given them what they wanted, what they expected. And so they selfishly ask, what profit is there in serving God? That's an interesting question. What profit is it? In fact, that question is such a revealing question, isn't it? It reveals a a consumer mentality. What's in it for me? What will I get out of this? And so this group of people here in Malachi's day had adopted the attitude that they deserved something in return for something they had done. God, you want me to do something? God, we want you to do something for us because we have done something for you. And this is a good, good reminder for all of us here this morning that you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and miss the point completely. Which is exactly what the people of Israel were doing. They were somewhat just kind of just checking boxes off. They were filling out lists of under the header of stuff we've done for God. Thinking all the while, God, we're doing what you want us to do. We're serving you. When it was... It was all outward, but nothing was changing on the inside. Their heart was half-hearted. And they missed the heart of why they were doing it for the Lord. And as a result, they complained to anyone and everyone who would listen, it's pointless to serve God. And they were making that accusation basically because of their expectation of what God should be doing for them. God should be blessing me. God should be blessing me in this way, in this form, and he's not coming through on some of the promises he's made. And my life stinks right now. And even though they think they were serving God in the right way, they hadn't yet looked in the heart, and God's trying to show them, listen, you're half-hearted, you're not living fully devoted. And you're expecting me to bless you as if everything is okay, when it's not okay, and I'm trying to get your attention on this. The second accusation, it it follows right after the first that it is profitable not to serve God then. Because think about it, if you think it's pointless to serve God, the natural result of that is you're going to begin to think it is profitable not to serve God. This first group, they looked around and they saw the world experiencing prosperity. They saw their neighbors, the surrounding nations, even the people within the city of Jerusalem and Judea experiencing peace, and that's what they wanted. While they were experiencing, as the people of God, the Israelites, they're experiencing poverty and pain. And so they come to this monstrous conclusion that it's pointless to serve God and it's profitable not to serve God. In fact, they draw the conclusion that it's better, get this, to be wicked and to live like the wicked than it is to be righteous. Why? Because from their perspective, from what they see around them, as they look out across the landscape, the proud, so it seems, are more blessed than the humble. The wicked are built up while the righteous are torn down. And those who do evil, those who thumb their noses up of God, seem to be getting away with it. But here's their mistake. 
And we make the same mistake. We are so prone to this mistake. Is they will rely on their observation of what they can see with their human eyes instead of relying on the revelation of God in His Word. In what God tells us. Because, folks, this is reality. We read the news. We look at our coworkers. We look at our neighbors. And we think that's reality. No. What God reveals in his word is the final reality of this life and especially the next life. And they had forgotten and they had neglected the word of God. And the prophet Malachi comes as a spokesperson for God to remind them again Here is reality. Refocus. You know, the enemy, envy is the enemy of contentment. Have you found that to be true in your own life? Envy is the enemy of our contentment. And it's fatal to our confidence in God. Think about this for a moment. Think about who these people, the Israelites, who they were envying, who they were looking upon. People who were openly arrogant and wicked. That's who they're looking on. That's who they're envying. People who put God to the test and thought they were getting away with it. Whereas God's invitation to put Him in the test, as we saw two weeks ago in chapter 3, verse 10, is an invitation to repent. It's an invitation to trust God for His promised blessings. This putting God to the test here in these verses, in verse 14, is seeing how much you can get away with in disobeying God. But God reminds us now as we will see next Sunday in our final message, actually not next Sunday because we have Christ in the Passover presentation coming, but in two weeks from now we will see here in chapter 4, verse 1, where God says, For behold, the day is coming, it's burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That's who God's people, the Israelites, are looking at in envy. And God's like, that's what you're envying? Oh, how short-sighted you're seeing. you got to refocus. You need to refocus on eternity here. You see, whenever we start thinking like this first group of people that it's pointless to serve God and it's profitable to not serve God, we've lost God's eternal perspective. And perhaps you're here this morning And you've stopped serving God because you just don't see any profit in it. You're not gaining from it. Or perhaps it seems pointless to to keep on serving God when it's hard, when you don't feel like it. And if these lies about God have have kind of risen up in your heart, have surfaced in your heart, then I encourage you you to go to a couple of places in the Scriptures and read and just let... God's Word soak into your life. And one place to do that is Psalm 73. In fact, in that psalm, Asaph, who is the writer of this psalm, contrasted the prosperity of the wicked with his own personal trials and hardships and difficulties in life. And he he wrongly concluded at the beginning of the psalm that following God is vain. 
It's useless. It's pointless. And, but then he goes into the sanctuary of God. And he saw God's eternal perspective when it came to the judgment of the wicked in the end and the reward of the righteous. And that's when he realized, that's when it kind of, the lights turned on for him and it clicked that it's always worth it to serve God and to live fully devoted unto him. I also encourage you to focus on what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul states in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, the question Paul is posing here is why serve the Lord if this life, this one we live in now, is all there is? Why, why, why give of our time? Why give of our resources? Why, why devote my life to serve God and to fear God if this is the only life that there is? That's what Paul's asking. Rather, according to verse 32, his conclusion, if that is true, Paul says, rather, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. And that's the motto of a lot of people that we know. But if, if, Paul says, later on in the chapter, Paul says, if, if, if Christ is risen, and if we will be raised up from the dead also with him, then listen to Paul's conclusion in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Same word. A large majority of the Israelites were saying it was in vain to serve God. Paul comes later on in the New Testament and says, no, it's never in vain to serve God. So the first group looks around and arrogantly accuses God and decides it's not worth it. It's not worth living fully devoted to the Lord. And thankfully, though, there is another group who believes and lives much differently. Notice the second group. They look up. And they reverently fear God. And now we come to the core issue between these two groups of people. There are those who fear God and those who don't fear God, and there's no third category. Notice what it says in verses 16 and 17. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Now, this is interesting. In fact, this is really interesting. Because so far in the, in the book of Malachi, every time God speaks, his people argue with God. Every time God has to say something, through his prophet Malachi, to his people, the Israelites, they argue, they question, and they basically reject what God says. Until now. This is the first time we have a positive response to God's words through the prophet Malachi. As at all times among the Israelites, there is a remnant of God's people who do respond to God's words with faith and obedience. And that group of people are those, in the, how God describes them, are those who fear the Lord or fear God. 
Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? That's an interesting phrase. To fear God. What does that mean to you? Well, to fear God means to, to stand in awe of his person, of who he is. It's the idea to submit to his authority. It's the idea to dread even his displeasure. To fear God is to stand humbly before God in, in reverence and respect because of who He is as God in what He has done for us. To fear God is to tremble at the thought of offending Him in any way. It's an attitude that God is not to be trifled with. Why? Because He is God and I'm His creation. It's the very opposite of the attitude of the first group of people here who arrogantly accuse God as if they are the creator and God is the created. And they accuse God, it doesn't pay to serve Him. Those who fear God shudder at the thought of speaking such harsh words about their majestic Father as Supreme Master. They would never do that. Because they understand who God is and what God has done. And so they fear Him as their Father and Master. Those who fear God always do two things. Always do two things. Look at this in your notes. The actions of the second group, they first of all, they exalt God and they edify one another. They exalt God and they edify one another. The end of verse 16 says, those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Now this word meditate means to exalt or esteem or honor God's name. This second group of people valued God's name above the majority opinion of the day. They, re they rejected the prevailing talk about God because they feared him above everything else. Those who fear the Lord, first of all, exalt the name of God. But they don't stop there. They also edify one another. When it says, look at this in verse 16, look at it with me. When it says they spoke to one another. Again, this is interesting because look at this with me. You got two groups of people. This group of people over here, the first group, they're talking to one another as well. And when they talk to one another, what's coming out of their mouth is harsh words about God. Those harsh words are, it's pointless to serve God, and it's not profitable to serve God. So they're talking. Except when they talk to one another, they're not really building one another up, they're tearing one another down, in other words, to fear God. They're not encouraging one another to fear God. It's just the opposite. But you have the second group of people over here. And they fear God, but they also talk to one another. And what do you think they were saying to one another? Well, we're not told exactly. But I think it's safe to assume that they spoke with affection for God instead of with accusations about God. This group had to counter the prevailing talk of the day. They had to encourage each other with truth about God instead of being influenced by lies about God. 
And perhaps they encouraged each other with, hey, God is loving. God is just. Look, I, I know your life is hard right now, but don't give up on our Father. God is just. He is loving. And I know life is hard right now for us, but we can't quit. Perhaps they're saying God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our lives. Perhaps they were encouraging one another with those words there. It is meaningless to do anything else. Perhaps they were saying, listen, you cannot give up. Don't walk out now. Jesus is coming soon. So keep on, keep it on. Persevere in the fear of God and in the faith of the Lord. Don't quit. Live fully devoted. God reveals here something rather very important that's applicable for us today as believers in Christ. He reveals the connection between truth and community. Listen, listen carefully to this. Involvement in the wrong community or isolation from the right community will invariably lead to wrong views about God and a hard heart toward God. Let me say that again. Involvement in the wrong community. In other words, involvement in group one. Or isolation from group two, the right community, will invariably lead to wrong views about God and a hard heart toward God. We need, folks, as Christ followers, and especially in this day and age in which we live, we need God-fearing community to help us protect our relationship with the Lord. We need people who will speak the truth of God to encourage us to stand firm against the wrong ideas that come at us from this world. And folks, we are being bombarded with lies about God and lies about the ways of God and how we are to live in the fear of God. The media and social media and school friends and neighbors, co-workers, I'm telling you, and it's not that we are to isolate completely from them. No, we have a responsibility to witness to them and to invite them to like our Easter service coming up. But we cannot allow ourselves to be influenced by the lies and the myths about our God. We need to counter that thinking. And the only way to do that is to be part of a group, a community of people who will speak the truth and to be in the truth in the Word of God itself. You say, why, why should I be in the Word? Paul explains it to us in Romans 12. We have to renew our minds because we are being squeezed by the pressures of this world and the philosophies of this world. All of us are prone to live half-hearted instead of fully devoted. We all struggle to maintain an, an eternal perspective in the face of this culture we live in. So for this reason, we must take responsibility to help each other to stay focused on the fear of the Lord and to encourage each other to persevere in the faith of the Lord. Hebrews 3.13 reminds us that we are our brother's keeper. When it says, being, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is why God commands us in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, 
as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's a key phrase right there, the day approaching. You say, what's the day? Oh, you've got to come back in two weeks, because Malachi's going to talk about the day. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day when Jesus returns. And folks, he is coming back, and he's coming soon. And we do not want to quit before he comes. We want to persevere. Those who fear the Lord, listen, exalt the name of God. And they will edify the followers of God. Because they have a steadfast belief that is always worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord. And in case we are still in doubt about that, in case we question that, God himself now gives us five reasons why. Let me briefly go through them with you. Number one, because the Lord will hear you. Verse 16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. In other words, God not only overhears the arrogant talk of the wicked, but he also hears every good word you have ever spoken or ever will speak. Do you realize that? One author put it this way, The ears of the Lord are strained to hear what the remnant were saying. Kings were making edicts but God was listening to his people. Generals were giving orders, but God was listening to a handful of folks who feared his name. His ears were tuned to his faithful followers. So the Lord will hear you. Are you in need? Cry out to him. Pray to him. He will hear you as his followers, as one who fears him. Number two, the Lord will remember you. In response to what God hears, Malachi says, a book of remembrance was written before God. Now the Jews were familiar with the idea of kings recording the names of people who had performed favors for them with the hopes of returning the favor one day. And God also has such a book for, his, for the righteous deeds performed and godly words spoken by his people. This means, get this, God will never forget the good that we have done in his power for his glory. I'm just like amazed by that. Because there are times when I think, nobody noticed what I did. Do you sometimes feel underappreciated in your service to the Lord? in your ministry to the Lord? Listen, like nobody's noticing, nobody's saying thank you, nobody's appreciative of you, of what you do. Oh, what I do is so insignificant, my ministry or what I do between Sundays during the week and serving my neighbor, my coworker, what I say here or there. And it's like, who's taking notice? Listen, God is taking notice. He is taking notice, and he's writing it all down in a book of remembrance. God will never forget the good that we do in his power and for his glory. It may look forgotten. It may even seem unrewarded now, but God is just. God is just, and every fragment of grace in your life is being written in God's book of remembrance, and it will be rewarded forever when the books are opened. Our God is just. We can count on it. Number three, the Lord will claim you. God says of those who fear him, they shall be mine. 
In the same word, this word mine is emphatic, which means those who fear the Lord belong to the Lord. God says, you're mine. That's a great thing when somebody tells you that, isn't it? In an affectionate way. Darla, you're my wife. You're my wife. Darla says, Bruce, you're my husband. We, we want to hear that. We long to hear that. And God is saying to us as his people, you are mine. I love what God says about his people in Jeremiah 32. He says, they will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. The Lord will claim you. Number four, the Lord will treasure you. God says of those who fear him, on the day that I make them my jewels. That phrase, my jewels, is a word that is reserved for a treasured collection of priceless jewels. They're, they're my jewels. God says he will treasure you, in other words, as priceless jewels. Can you feel the immense promise implied in that statement? Listen, let the truth of Isaiah 62.3 soak your soul, where it says, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And listen to the love that God has for you in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. In other words, the Lord will treasure you. And then number five, the Lord will spare you. God ends by saying, for those who fear him, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Now the good news here is, sons don't have to be perfect to be spared. Right? Because who here is perfect, right? Who here has followed the Lord perfectly? Yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody's hand is up. And so the great news here is sons and daughters do not have to be perfect to be spared. They just have to serve as sons. And here's where Jesus comes in. How can a holy God, though, spare a sinful son even if the son has repented and returned home? And the answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? To save sinners. That's us. God is just, and He will spare sinful sons precisely because He did not spare His only sinless Son. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? And aren't you thankful that God did not spare His own Son, Jesus Christ, so that He could spare us? when we place our faith and trust in His sinless Son, God will spare you. Is it worth it to fear the Lord? Is it worth it to live fully devoted to the Lord? I mean, you bet it is. Yes, it's worth it. 
Make no mistake, mistake, Malachi tells us in the next chapter that the day is coming. What day? The day of the Lord is coming. It's the day when this life is over and eternity finally dawns. And on that day, the debate about whether or not it's worth it to live fully devoted will cease forever. To the people in Malachi's day, man, it often appeared, it seemed like it wasn't worth it. It appeared that serving God was pointless and there was no profit in being righteous. But in eternity, listen, everything will be brought to clarity. Eternity will bring clarity to this life we now live. And it will be obvious that the righteous were indeed wise and it was indeed worth it. And like the people in Malachi's day, we sometimes... I put my hand up. We, we do, we sometimes envy the wicked. We look at their lives and we think, boy, I wish I had some of that. But no one, get this, no one will envy them in eternity after they face Judgment Day. Which brings us to a question of eternal significance. Which group are you in? Which group are you in? Look within and discern which group are you in. Group one, the wicked who do not fear God nor serve God. Or group two, the righteous who fear God and serve God. It's interesting how Malachi finishes this chapter. He finishes it with a summary statement of these two groups in verse 18 when he says, Then you shall again discern... In other words, it will be apparent, you will be able to see it, discern between the righteous and the wicked. And notice this, look at me. You're wondering, what's the difference between the righteous and the wicked here? God makes it very clear what the difference is between the wicked and the righteous. And folks, listen, it's not always what we think is the difference. We, we have sometimes our own ideas about what the righteous are and the wicked and what makes them different. But God makes it very clear here. It's, they, it's, it's the difference between those who fear God and serve God. Did you see it here in verse 18? Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. And you say... Well, what motivates somebody to serve God? Well, they have a fear of God, that's why. And so the righteous are those who fear God, and because they fear God, they serve God. And when you think of serve God, listen, don't put that in a little small box of American Christianity. Because our idea of serve God is about this big sometimes. We think, Oh, I've, I've served God. I, I came to church on Sunday morning and, and I was a greeter or I served in a nursery. Yes, that is serving God and that is important. But folks, the idea of serving God is we, we it's living fully devoted to the Lord. We, we are serving Him with our whole lives. We are putting our faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we fear God. And because we fear God and we have now trusting Christ for our salvation, we now serve Him with everything there is about us. That's what it means to serve God. And the righteous fear God, serve God. 
the wicked do not fear God, do not serve God. And the question for us this morning is we need to look within and we need to discern which group am I in. The Bible makes it clear that there's no middle ground. We're either in group one or group two. We're either saved or we're lost. We're either alive in Christ or dead in our sins. We're either reconciled to God or separated from God. We're, we either know Christ as our Savior and Lord or we don't know Christ at all. And God has done so much for us. He sacrificed His Son on the cross so that when we come to Him in repentance and faith, He will remember us. He will treasure us. And most of all, He will spare us for all eternity. So I ask again, which group are you in this morning? With your heads bowed. As we come to our time where we respond, there's probably, just like in Malachi's day, there's two groups of people here this morning. And my prayer is that God is speaking to you through His words. And he will draw you to himself. And you will see your need to move to the second group if you are in the first group. And you can do that this morning by crying out to the Lord, crying out to Jesus Christ to save you, to put your faith and trust in him for your salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And he will cleanse you, he will forgive you, and he will give you eternal life. Many of you are already in the second group, but perhaps you're at a point in your life where you're beginning to question, you're being influenced. Is it worth it to serve the Lord? Is it worth it to continue on? Man, use this time to refocus your heart on eternity and on the words of God. It is always worth it. And so do not give up. Plead for the grace of God, the power of God to persevere through whatever obstacle and trials you are going through. As Zach sings, this is your opportunity. Let me encourage you to pray and to do business in, with prayer, through prayer, with our Father this morning.